This is the Joy-Filled Eater. My name is Brittany Braswell, and I'm your food freedom coach. And in this episode, you are going to learn how to recognize diet culture in your church and learn what you can do about it when it comes up. This is a no-holds-barred kind of conversation. For anyone who's been triggered by inappropriate comments from the pulpit, words you've read at a Christian book or devotional, or even a church-wide call to fast. So if you feel disconnected from the church, or if you're afraid to get involved again, I hear you, friend. So over the next 30 minutes, I'm going to battle with you against diet culture, and we're not going to be defeated. So stick around. Welcome to the Joy-Filled Eater podcast, the show that helps you cultivate a joy-filled relationship with food, your body, and Jesus. My name is Brittany Braswell, and I'm a Christ-centered registered dietitian and eating disorder recovery coach on a mission to help you break free from the bondage of food guilt and body shame so that you can start fueling your physical, mental, and spiritual health all from a place of joy. We'll be spilling the tea on all things diet culture, even in the church. Think of this as your weekly dose of nutrition and body image real talk mixed with biblical encouragement from your Southern bestie. If you love Jesus, are sick of having negative body image, and wish food didn't feel so complicated, then welcome, friend. This show is for you. So grab your coffee, get comfy, and prepare to be challenged. This is the Joyful Eater Podcast. If you attended church, have been to a Christian conference, maybe you're part of a small group community, or you read devotionals as part of your quiet time, then chances are you've been exposed to diet culture in the Big C Church. And if you weren't aware of it, you might have accepted a slanted message that you heard without question. I was recently reminded that church should be a place where questions are welcomed and encouraged so as to prompt a deeper discussion and understanding of the word. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you heard a Sunday message and asked some follow-up questions Remember, questions are necessary for growth, so it's absolutely okay to ask them. Some places you might go to ask a question after you've heard a message is possibly to your pastor or another church leader. You can ask the Lord during your your private study time or in scripture. Use scripture as a filter for truth. And another great place to ask questions if you need some clarification or if you're not really sure that what was Maybe maybe what you heard on a Sunday morning was accurate or true. Bring it to discussion in a small group setting. This is a wonderful way to connect with other people and to see how other people maybe interpreted the scripture or the passage as well. Now, if you never ask the hard questions and you never dig in for yourself, then you're really allowing your pastor or leader to be your Bible. Let me say that again. If you don't ask those hard questions, if you don't really dig in for yourself and really explore the truth from scripture, then you're letting someone else be your Bible. When you allow another person to be your primary source of hearing from Jesus, you are guaranteed to be disappointed because people get it wrong. And that includes me. That's why I always encourage you after listening to these episodes to take what you hear on this podcast and bring it to the Lord in prayer. Filter it through scripture and ask the Lord for wisdom in what you need in order to better understand it. So when was the last time you cracked open your Bible on your own? Every year, researchers from the American Bible Society take a survey 
and ask the American people about their opinions and practices as they relate to the Bible. But in 2022, they found a huge decrease in the percentage of Americans who reported spending time in the Word. Since 2011, those results have indicated that about half of Americans report reading their Bible, but only three or four times a year. Can you believe that? At least three or four times a year and only 50%. But in their latest report from this past December, that percentage had dropped down from 50 to 39%. So sad. That indicates that about 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year, making it the sharpest decline on record. A lot of this decline has been speculated and is very likely related to, at some level, lower levels of church attendance because of the COVID pandemic. And that may be true. However, consistently being a part of a local body of believers is extremely important. However, it's also not the church's responsibility to open your Bible for you. When you dig into scripture on your own, or even with a small group of believers, so much growth becomes possible that likely isn't going to happen just by listening to your pastor preach on a Sunday. So what's getting in the way, do you think, of people attending church consistently and plugging into a small group setting? Think about that for you. If you haven't been in church recently, or maybe since COVID, you've been attending virtually. What is it that's keeping you from being maybe in person if you have that opportunity? What's preventing you from really getting back involved and getting around people in a smaller setting where you can have real, honest conversation? There could be tons of reasons. But for those who struggle with negative body image or disordered eating, church, unfortunately, might not always feel like the safest place to escape the triggers of diet culture. So let's start off. I want to give you four different ways or examples that I often see diet culture showing up in our churches today. And I want to do this because these are the areas that I've had the most clients and students and friends and family say, Brittany, you will not believe what I heard on Sunday, or you will not believe what I just read in this devotional, or, hey, I just got this book from this, you know, prominent Christian speaker and author, and look at what they said about food or about their body or about how we should see or treat either of them. So I want to make you aware of these four areas so that you can have an idea about when they pop up, what kind of questions to ask, or maybe just some follow-up to be looking for. So the first one is food and body-related jokes or comments being made from the pulpit. Now, trigger warning, but a pastor that I was listening to not that long ago, within the last couple of months, told a joke from the stage that made my stomach drop. He made a comment about how he wished he looked like Brad Pitt, but he felt more like an avocado pit. Now, I understand his aim was to try to invoke some humor into his message, and honestly, I have no idea how it even related, because at that point, like I said, my stomach dropped. I felt, I could just feel the the people around me that were uncomfortable. There were some people laughing, yes, and and playing into it, and that's okay, but for so many, it was a huge trigger. Because if a pastor is making a comment or joke from the stage about his own body, it's really easy. And I've had clients tell me this as well, that, okay, well, hey, if my body is anything like his or shaped anything, or if I notice similarities, 
and it becomes a very triggering thing. So when you hear a food or body-related joke or comment being made from the pulpit, even and maybe especially if the speaker or pastor is saying it about themselves, the the sentiment behind it is probably very well-meaning. However, this can be extremely triggering and dangerous for the people listening. I've also heard things like jokes about how bad certain foods are or how bad someone was over the weekend, quote unquote bad, right? Or the the worst phrase I hate hearing, I'll just start over again tomorrow. I'll start again Monday. I'll be good again, right? Lots of moralizing about food from the from the stage. I've also heard lots of talk um, in premarital counseling about things like, oh, you've got to serve your spouse by keeping your body a certain way or staying quote unquote healthy or heaven forbid you, again, hate this phrase, trigger warning, letting yourself go. Don't let yourself go in marriage. These just bring on tons of body shame towards men and women about what their bodies need to look like for their spouse. I've even heard food and body-related comments from Christian radio station. Things like talking about strategies to trick yourself into losing weight or, hey, here's this um, weight loss facility that is, you know, sponsoring the radio station. And so here's a weight loss commercial. Things like this can be extremely triggering when you're trying to listen to something that's supposed to be life-giving. And instead, they're talking about something that makes you feel like you need to change your body. The last type of sort of food or body-related joke I hear is when someone makes a joke about being thankful for an upcoming church-wide fast because they feel like they need to lose some weight. Yes, that gets said from the stage. I don't know if you have ever been in a church or an environment where they do fasting, but this brings us really to example number two. So the second way that I see diet culture showing up in churches today is through fasting. Now, let me be clear here. Fasting is biblical. I am not against fasting, but I do want to explain the dangers that can show up around it as diet culture infuses the process. So like I said, fasting is biblical. Jesus demonstrated and taught about fasting in scripture, and we see tons of examples of it throughout the Bible. We see it from Jesus himself. He goes on a fast while he's in the wilderness before his ministry begins. We see it from Moses when he's on Mount Sinai with the Lord and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. We see a selective fast from Daniel when he is preparing to um, see the king. We see Queen Esther. She calls for the Jewish people to pray and fast as she prepares to approach the king. And we see in chapter 13, the early church is preparing to send out Barnabas and Saul in order to begin their ministry to teach others about Jesus. But here's the thing. What often happens is that fasting is either used or talked about in an unhealthy or even dangerous way, and sometimes it's used out of the wrong motivation. Now, the purpose of fasting is to be able to humble ourselves and deny something that we prioritize in order to feed our spirit and grow closer to the Lord. So yes, this can be done with food. However, if you have a really unhealthy or disordered relationship with food, that can get really dangerous. So I'll get into that here in just a second. But let's start just looking at fasting in kind of two different categories here. So 
fasting is something that can be done individually. So this would be something you would do on your own with some sort of personal conviction, okay? It can also be done corporately. So corporately is when I said like a church-wide fast. So this is when you're fasting as a group or a body of believers. So maybe it's your whole church does, you know, fasting at the beginning of the year, or maybe your small group is preparing and you're doing a fast on like a weekend retreat. However, corporate fasting can often feel really triggering if you do have a very unhealthy or anxiety-ridden relationship with your body. It might even feel like encouragement not to eat or getting affirmation from people in the church that you shouldn't. So like I said, it can be done individually as well for a variety of reasons as the Lord leads and directs you, but fasting doesn't have to look like giving up food. In fact, if you're working on recovering from an eating disorder, then fasting from food is likely going to be a recipe for disaster. So instead of automatically choosing to fast from food, pray about trying this instead. Who has ever heard of a soul fast? So your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So think about things like your character traits, your personality. And even though you can do something like a food or beverage related fast, a soul fast can look like a lot of different things. So this might look like giving up something like social media. Maybe it's secular music. So, you know, when you're in the car or when you're at home, you are listening to, you know, primarily worship music. Um, it could be an activity swap that you do where you lay down something that takes up, you know, some of your time or priority and you swap that time for time in the word. A soul fast can even look like putting away your scale. Maybe it's looking at if you, if you tend to be a bit of a workaholic. Maybe it is reducing the amount of time you're at work or maybe reducing the amount of work that you bring home if that's possible. Maybe it's turning off the news. Maybe it's giving up some of your time during the week and attending a small group or maybe even a recovery-focused program to help you with food freedom or to help you grow in your faith in another way. So these are all types of fasts that you can do, again, with that purpose being to humble yourself and grow closer to the Lord by feeding your spirit. All right, so that was the second way that I see diet culture show up is fasting, and it's usually the language around fasting. So fasting, again, is biblical. I'm not saying fasting is diet culture, but the way that it's often presented in the church or in small group settings can be very triggering. All right, the third way I often see diet culture show up in the church and I want to keep this one short because this this isn't um, limited only to the church kind of environment. And I'm going to call this potluck talk because I'm a, I'm a Southern girl. I'm from the South. And about every church-related function I went to growing up was food-related. There was food somewhere. It was some sort of potluck, some sort of church picnic, somebody's birthday. There were casseroles everywhere, right? So Potluck talk is essentially unhelpful food-related conversation. So as a dietitian, I hear this all the time. I feel like when someone, when I meet somebody new, especially if it's around a meal, and they say, oh, hey, well, you know, what do you do or what's your job? I almost want to lie because I know as soon as I say, oh, I'm a dietitian, things I hear, and this happens at potluck talk, are things like, oh, don't look at my plate. 
or, oh, don't judge me, or it's my cheat day, or I'll just make up for this later, right? By skipping a meal or exercise or fill in the blank with some type of disordered behavior. Some other things you might hear around potluck talk or unhelpful table kind of conversation is, you know, I'll start again Monday. I mentioned this when I was talking about things a pastor might say from the pulpit or I was so quote unquote bad this week, right? Potluck talk is extremely unhelpful and can be very triggering whether it's in a church type of environment or otherwise. I'm going to move on now. Number four, taking scripture out of context. This happens all the time. I could probably go a lot of different directions with this, but I'm going to stick to the two that I hear come up and the two passages that I get the questions that I get the most questions about. So the first one is the verse about your body being a temple. And the reason that this verse, I think, tends to trigger so much diet culture related conversation and behaviors is because it's often used as a way to manipulate or justify restricting or engaging in excessive exercise in order to change the body. So the verse actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And although this passage is beautiful, I want to point out a couple of problems, especially when it comes to trying to use this verse to justify restriction or, um, or excessive exercise. Problem number one, these verses, if you read it in context, it's talking about sexual immorality. Nothing to do with food, nothing to do with weight. So be really careful when you're reading scripture not to cherry pick verses. So when I say cherry pick, what I mean is don't go through and just look for something that you feel like matches your belief. You've got to go through and read it in context to get a better understanding. So a good kind of rule of thumb or guideline for this is read about 10 verses before and 10 verses after the specific verse. All right, so that's problem number one with this one. Problem number two is when people say, you know, your body is a temple. They're often thinking about that from the standpoint or the view of the outside of the building. And it's this beautiful place that should be kept to looking nice, okay? However, the word temple, the original word that they use for temple in the Greek, is not referring to anything exterior. It's actually referring to the sacred edifice or the sanctuary itself. So this consists of the holy place and the holy of holies. In classical Greek, it's used to talk about the sanctuary or the cell of the temple. So this is where the image of God was placed, or this is where the Holy Spirit's presence resided, and it was completely distinguished from the outer enclosure. Okay, so it's this very intimate place where you have the presence of God. So Really, the takeaway here that I have from this is that the verse is not calling you to shrink your body or to change your appearance by telling you to honor God with your bodies or that your body's a temple. It's a reminder that you and your body are immeasurably valuable because the Lord resides there. The Holy Spirit is within us. And that when something is valuable, 
we ought to respect and care for it in a way that honors its value. Now, whether or not you feel valuable is a whole nother conversation, but I promise, friend, you are valuable and you don't get to determine your value. Okay, I'm going to just say this really boldly, really bluntly, but you don't have any ability to determine your worth or value. That's not something that you can change. That is only something that your creator can assign to you. So if you don't feel valuable, that's okay. You don't have to feel it. You are. So honor what you have and honor its value. All right, passage number two. This could be a whole separate episode in and of itself, but I get lots of questions about the laws that discuss clean foods and unclean foods. And I've seen a lot of these verses used to justify restriction. Now, again, this is way too in-depth of a topic to cover in its entirety today. So I'm just going to give you kind of a short version and a quick overview from some of the study that I've done around this. So if you go back to chapter 11 of Leviticus, Leviticus goes into a lot of detail about the Old Testament food laws regarding what the Israelites could or could not eat. Um, If you want kind of a shortened, maybe more concise version, you can also find some more information about the food laws covered in Deuteronomy chapter 14. But most of these are covered in Leviticus 11, and they primarily have to do with the consumption of different animals. So whether these animals were considered clean or unclean, or if you want to look at it another way, the, the way that they're describing it when they say clean or unclean is, are they fit for consumption or not? So as far as whether or not these laws are relevant for us today, and again, I'm not going to go into all of the different laws about what was considered clean or unclean, because there are, in some of the passages or verses, there are specific criteria, and in other ones, it's just a list of consume these or don't consume these, and they don't all have criteria that carries over. So as far as how are those relevant for today, the culture in which those laws were given and the theocracy that existed at the time. So theocracy meaning it was it's a system of government where the priests are ruling, okay? And they're ruling like they've heard from God and they're ruling. That's what they had at the time these laws were created. And they're both very different from what we know today. Because they're very culturally and theologically isolated, it's my belief and understanding and conviction that we no longer have, um, we don't have a building that serves as the temple where sacrifices are made. We talked about this just a couple minutes ago. We are now the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And because Jesus came and fulfilled the law in the New Testament, He talks about this in Matthew chapter 5 about how he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he declares all foods clean. They talk about this even more later in. And because we are now the temple, again, it's my personal conviction that those Levitical food laws are no longer meant for today. Now, if you have a strong preference and you want to abide by the Jewish food laws, that is absolutely your choice to do so. I am not telling you it's wrong or that it's a bad thing or you shouldn't do that. However, I'm just saying according to scripture and my understanding of it, my personal conviction is that they are not required for today. So I feel a total sense of peace about all foods being deemed allowable or fit for consumption as well as enjoyment. Now, if you want to 
go in and study those Levitical food laws more and get a little bit more um, history and context, I would absolutely recommend, now this is a little bit of a deep dive, but I would absolutely recommend um, heading over to episode 74 of the Naked Bible podcast hosted by Dr. Michael Heiser. I'll link that up for you in the show notes, but it goes in depth. He actually does a whole series on the book of Leviticus, which I think is fascinating. But episode 74 really dives into those um, laws in chapter 11. All right. So we went over these four areas where you may see diet culture showing up in your church. So the first area was kind of those food or body related jokes or comments that might be made from the pulpit or a stage. The second one is fasting. And really, it's the language around fasting that can get used or the motivation. Um, The third was potluck talk or inappropriate, unhelpful table, food-related conversation. And then the fourth is when scripture is taken out of context, especially with the intent of making it fit or a justification for restriction or excessive exercise. So... What do you now do if you start noticing those diet trends or if you start noticing diet culture or conversation in your church? Number one, please, please be a grace giver, okay? I am not here. This episode is not to bash the church. I love the church. I love being involved in a local body. But just like anywhere else, you do have to be aware of what's said, right? Which is why I encouraged you at the beginning to ask questions, okay? So the first thing you do if you start noticing those things, have grace and understanding that most people are very likely unaware of the negative impacts of the things that they might be saying, whether it's from a stage in a small group or somewhere else. And they likely don't understand how triggering it can be for those who don't yet have a healthy relationship with food or their body. So give them grace for now because they can't do better until they know better, right? So when we know better, we can do better. Which brings me to action step or point number two here. You've got to speak up. All right, let someone know how what they said impacted you so that they'll be aware of it in the future. Okay, so... Some ideas for this might look like um, having a conversation with your pastor or with whatever person maybe made that diet culture infused comment, okay? And if this feels like really intimidating for you or out of your comfort zone, take a support person. So take someone who knows your struggle and who you know is supportive and understanding with you to help have this conversation. You could also write a letter or an email explaining, hey, here's what was said, and here was how I heard it, or here's how it came across. And again, doing this with grace, making sure you're not accusing someone of intentionally, you know, having a diet culture-infused message or sermon, but just saying, hey, I want you to know these kind of things are triggering for someone like me who might struggle with an unhealthy relationship with my body or with food, right? Um, the other option is you you want to be able to present some alternatives to maybe whatever was said that was triggering, okay? So if a comment was made, whether it was a joke, whether it was something that was supposed to be a compliment, present some alternatives. So saying, hey, when you said X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, this is how it came across. 
if that wasn't your intent, here's something that would feel more helpful or here's something that doesn't, um, that doesn't trigger disordered eating thoughts or behaviors. Okay, so being able to point it out, speak up, let them know what the issue was, but then also provide some encouragement. I always encourage this because it, it frustrates me to no end. Like, let's say you go to a doctor's appointment and they say, okay, hey, you have this medical condition. You have diabetes, right? What is the first thing most doctors say? Stop eating sugar, right? They don't explain what that means. It is a super blanket statement that has really no um, value. And it definitely doesn't tell you what you need to do. I was having a similar conversation with a family member this week about um, a recommendation that their dentist gave them on. Don't eat X, Y, and Z, whatever foods, because of this specific dental condition. But you know probably even better than I do if you are in the middle of your struggle with disordered eating that being told what not to do can feel really anxiety-provoking and frustrating because it's, again, it has a tendency to trigger restriction in some way. Whether it's restriction from food or something else, it's better to know what can I do, not just what can't I or what do I not need to do. So that's where I want to just, again, encourage you, present some alternatives and say, hey, can you please say something like this the next time as, as an alternative? Um, and the third action step I want to leave you here with today, if you're noticing diet culture in your church, is be a leader. Lead the way and look for maybe a small group setting where you can find a community of believers to walk alongside you, to provide support, provide accountability, and cultivate, start cultivating that community of sort of the, the non-diet talk. Um, Body Beloved has a really fantastic six-week food freedom Bible study curriculum. I will link that up for you in the show notes. Um, but it's a really great resource to use even if you just want to host a small group. It's really short. It's a, a short commitment. And they have some really great resources in there. They also have a letter that you can actually download and customize to send to your pastor or to send to someone at your church to say, hey, is this a resource that the church would be willing to invest in and to be able to use, you know, for, for different small groups? Um, so that resource is there. Again, I'll make sure to link it up in the show notes for you. Now, we really can't expect culture to change, even in the church, without us doing something about it. But we do need to be involved in a local body of believers. So it's up to you and up to all of us to do our part so that we can make church and small groups and conferences a safer and more life-giving place to walk out our path to food freedom. So just to do a quick recap of today's episode, we went over first four different ways that you might see diet culture showing up in your church. Everything from hearing food-related jokes, to fasting, to potluck talk, to pulling scripture out of context. Then we looked at three actions that you can take right now if you're noticing diet culture in your own church. Be, number one, start with being a grace giver, okay? Make sure you understand that not everyone is aware of their language or the impact of it. Number two, speak up, bring awareness to what's being said. And number three, lead the way. So this week, I want you to take just one bold step. And I want to specifically challenge you to speak up. 
If you've ever felt triggered by something that's been said from the pulpit or a small group or anywhere else involving the church body, please tell someone who's involved and do it from a place of grace, not condemnation. That might mean that you first need to forgive the person who said it. Did anybody just wince? Forgiveness is a conversation for another day, but pray into it if that's a struggle that's been keeping you away from the church, or maybe that's been keeping you from getting involved at a deeper level. You really do need community, friend. Don't let diet culture keep you from it, because that's exactly what the enemy wants. The more you stiff arm the church, the less likely you are to grow deeper in your faith. That's all for today. Until next week, friend, may you be filled with joy and abound in hope. Odds are, if you're hearing my voice right now, you might be a Christian woman who feels like food and nutrition are too complicated and that you'll have to struggle with negative body image for the rest of your life. And this podcast is here to help with that. On this show, I'm going to be sharing everything I know and continue to learn about how to cultivate a joy-filled and peaceful relationship with food in your body. But let's face it, it would take me years to share that kind of knowledge and strategy with you here through our free weekly episodes. And the thing is, food freedom can be a really isolating process when you try to go it alone. So if you've been wanting to add some fuel to the fire on your path to food and body peace so that you can start seeing more confidence and improved physical and mental health now, I invite you to consider joining the Joy-Filled Eater Live. This is the high-touch coaching program that I've created to educate and coach Christian women like you, and it's how dozens of women have stopped hating their bodies or looking to the scale for validation. Through this program, you'll get the blueprint and step-by-step process that you need to reach your food and body freedom goals, along with the accountability required to light a fire under you to implement what you've been learning and take some much-needed action. You'll also get live coaching from me personally every single week. Plus, when you join, you get immediate access to on-demand and live bonus trainings from therapists, Christian authors and speakers, strength coaches, and others so that you can better approach your physical and mental wellness holistically. You'll also join a community of other Christian women who are already eating more intuitively and are ready to help you do the same. So yes, you can absolutely rely on the episodes of this free podcast to help you ditch diet culture and start seeing some results on your own food freedom journey. Or you can fast track your path to freedom and do it in a way that's much more enjoyable and that will help you to be full of confidence as you take your next steps. So if you're ready to commit to getting rid of food rules and not letting the scale dictate the trajectory of your day, then click the link in the show notes and fill out an application and you'll be on your way to joining the Joy-Filled Eater Live. I'll see you inside the program.